0: Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental and social justice news and stories from Australia and the world. This episode is produced on Gadigal and Dharawal land for 3CR Radio and broadcast across this continent on the Community Radio Network. I'm Jem Rommel. On today's show, we're listening to Gideon Levy, an Israeli journalist and commentator. He was drafted into the Israeli Defence Force and worked as an aide to Shimon Peres then leader of the Israeli Labour Party. Since 1982, he's been writing for Haaretz newspaper and is a powerful critic of the Israeli occupation of Palestine. This talk was recorded by Behind the Lines at an event organised by the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network and Australians for Justice and Peace in Palestine, in Canberra, on the 28th of November
1: 2017. I heard a little bit about some of you People who fought for principles, people who fought for morality, people who fought for human rights, people who fought against nuclear weapons, people who stood in a very proud way against the grain. And I think that we should never lose hope, even though when it comes to the Middle East, right now things look very hopeless. Standing against the grain has a lot of privileges. And I must remind all of you, and I must remind myself again and again, that so many times in history minorities were so damn right and majorities, brainwashed majorities, were so wrong. In so many times in history, those who were called traitors, like we do, those who were called who were labelled as anti-Semites, like part of the you 2 those who were called lunatics, were found so right in a retrospective of time. And those who went with the mainstream, with the brainwash, with the propaganda, were so wrong. So let's not lose hope, not in your country, not in my country, You are a minority in your country and we are a minority, a tiny minority in our country and still we shouldn't leave hope because things can really change. I must remind you that most of the most dramatic things in history happened in the most unexpected way. If I would have come here in the late 80s and I would have told you that within months Soviet Russia is going to fall the Berlin war is going to fall and the apartheid system in South Africa is going to fall. So you would have never invited me again because you would have saw that I'm out of my mind. Nobody had foreseen it, nobody. Many times we see a huge, and you have in your country such beautiful trees. Many times we see those huge, strong trees look so healthy, so strong, so viable. And all of a sudden a tree falls down on the street. Nobody expects this tree to fall and then we look inside that tree and we see it is totally rotten from inside. And what is more rotten than the Israeli occupation, which celebrates now its 50th year, or may I say so, the first 50 years, because today we are far from ending the occupation than ever. I'm very sorry to say so, but I think the end of the occupation is today farther than ever. <laughs> Ten years ago it seemed more hopeful, and twenty years ago it seemed even more hopeful. And right now we are facing a stage in which part of the world is losing interest, part of the world, support Israel blindly. Israel has no incentive to go for ending the occupation. The Palestinians are divided, are beaten, are lonely, are separated without energy, still bleeding from the Second Intifada, without having a proper leadership for the future, with all the respect to Abbas, who is 83 now, and it seems really, really hopeless. But we know from history that many times in those hopeless moments, all of a sudden something unexpected will happen, and we will be back on track. The Israeli occupation celebrated now 50 years, and I think at least in this room, with those friends, I don't have to mention the fact that nobody should look at the Israeli occupation as a temporary phenomenon. It is not. It is there to stay. Israel never had an intention, a serious intention, to put an end to the occupation. There was not one single Israeli prime minister, including Nobel Prize winners, who really meant to put an end to the occupation. And how do I know it? Very easily. Because there was not a single government who stopped building settlements. And if you build settlements, you don't mean to put an end to the occupation. As simple as this. So there was never a genuine intention to put a final, total end to the occupation. And the world the world played a very interesting role. There's not a single issue today in the world which unites the entire world. From India to Australia, from Australia to Africa, from Europe to America, from the Arab world to Southeast Asia, like the need to put an end to the occupation, there's no single country in the world which recognizes the Israeli occupation. Even Micronesia, which is Israel's second friend, doesn't recognize the occupation. There is no single country in the world which supported the occupation ever. And look, look what's happening. On one hand, there is this global consensus like no other issue. Everyone says two-state solution. And on the ground, things are going exactly to the opposite direction. I cannot think about one other Example in which there is the entire world and there is one state which violates the at least declared ambition of the world, declared policy of the world to put an end to the occupation and just ignores it. And the question is, can we go on with this masquerade, in which we all pay this lip service of saying yes to state solution and do nothing? And the Israeli Prime Minister will held a speech once in 10 years, adopting the two-state solution, and then in the coming 10 years he will do anything possible to sabotage the two-state solution, build more settlements, and the world will just watch it and do nothing. Israel is not yet maybe an apartheid state. But Israel possesses two regimes, or maybe three regimes, and one should remember this. On the front, there is this liberal democracy, the only democracy in the Middle East, the country that most of the Australians love so much and share so much the same values, the country that the West is hugging and financing and supporting and arming, the country that came out of the Holocaust, it is really a miraculous phenomenon. But that's just in the front. In the backyard, in the very dark backyard of this very same democracy, there is one of the most brutal tyrannies on earth today, and I'm not exaggerating. The military occupation is one of the most brutal tyrannies on earth today, not less than this. People are kidnapped from the beds, in front of the children on a daily basis. People are killed, people are humiliated. People lose their dignity, lose their jobs, lose their hope on a daily basis for 50 years now. Gaza is the biggest cage on earth. Gaza represents the biggest experiment ever in human beings. Let's see what's happening with too many people. If we put them all together in a cage, let's see what's happening to them. And now we can start to see the results.
0: You're listening to the Israeli journalist Gideon Levy speaking in Canberra in November 2017. Society in
1: Gaza is falling apart. A research made by an Israeli psychologist who was in Gaza recently, a Palestinian-Israeli researcher, came back with horrifying conclusions. He told the media that one third of the children he met and interviewed were victims of sexual harassment. There's no parent, There are no parents to support them, no parents to protect them. Everyone is just busy and preoccupied with surviving. Living in a cage for 10 years makes societies fall apart, makes parents and families fall apart. So Gaza is a cage. The West Bank is in a better condition, but don't be wrong. None of us, none of us in this room can imagine themselves. What does it mean to live under the Israeli occupation, even in the West Bank? None of us knows what does it mean to wake up in the middle of the night and to see 20, 30 Israeli soldiers with dogs in your bedroom, without any reason or with a very doubtful reason. None of us know what does it mean to see our parents beaten in front of us. None of us know what does it mean to go to work in the morning and not to know, will you make it, will you not make it? None of us know and can imagine what does it mean to try to stand in the checkpoints, to get some kind of work in Israel at 2 o'clock in the morning, in order to get at 7 o'clock to work, which is half an hour away. None of us knows what does it mean to live for 50 years, third generation now, under the Israeli occupation. It changes faces. I'm covering it now for 30 years. I saw worse times than now. I saw better times than now. But it's always an occupation. It always destroys a people. It always, as some Palestinian phrased it nicely, we are stealing their lives for so many years. And most of the Israelis, I must say, the big majority of Israelis, couldn't care less. And it really bothered me for many years. How can can it be? Because the occupation, the Israeli occupation, is not a colony, you know, over the oceans. It's not even Algeria over the Mediterranean. It's just 15 minutes away or half an hour away from our homes. How can it be that there are so little question marks in Israeli society? So little doubts, so little protest? How come that most of the Israelis couldn't care less about what is being done on their behalf? Day after day, week after week, year after year. And it took me some years to understand that the Israeli society is trained not to know, is trained to close its eyes, is trained to be blind to daily crimes which are being taken so close to our homes. Some of you who visited Israel, I guess you were astonished as any foreigner who comes to Israel how little the occupation is discussed at all. Israelis don't talk about it. Know about it so little, are not troubled at all, the occupation is not on the table at all. Campaign after campaign in the elections, huge subjects are being discussed in the campaigns, like the cigars that the Prime Minister is smoking, the champagne that his wife is drinking, and the occupation is absent, doesn't exist. The elephant is not in the room.
0: This is Earth Matters, produced for 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast all across these stolen lands we call Australia on the Community Radio Network. You're listening to Gideon Levy. Let's get back to it. And it took me some years to
1: realise what a machinery it is, what a machinery it takes to make a people live in denial, to make a people live in blindness, total blindness. Most of the Israelis, I may, I allow myself to say here, most of the Israelis know about the occupation less than you know. Most of the Israelis have not been in those places that part of you who went to the West Bank have been. And the media, the biggest collaborator of Israeli occupation, which is labeled in Israel as a leftist mafia, can you believe it? The Israeli media is hardly covering the occupation and if it covers the occupation it's always in a biased way, dehumanising the Palestinians, demonising them and not telling the real story. And the real story is much more simple than you think. Because many times people tell me, oh, you oversimplify the story, it is so complex. I'm sure you face those arguments. That it's very complicated. It's very complex, it's not black and white. It is black and white, my friends. There is a very clear occupier, and there is a very clear occupied. There's a very clear party which violates international law very clearly. I heard that your foreign minister said some time ago that there is no occupation. I mean, we can claim that today is not Tuesday, but what can we do? Today is Tuesday. There is no argument about it. I mean, there is not more than one version about what day is it today. And there is not more than one version about the fact that the occupied territories are occupied and are violating the international law, period. And if you find some lunatic experts or so-called experts who claim that this is not an occupation, I offer them a mental assistance. Because there cannot be an argument. Exactly like it cannot be an argument if it is Tuesday today. Is it Tuesday today, Katrin? It is Israel, it's still Monday and here it's Tuesday. <laughs> but in any case, don't... Let the majority in this country, like the majority in my country, don't let them attack you with the old weapons that they always use, labeling us as self-hating Jews, labeling labeling you as anti-Semites. There is a full, not only right, but duty to criticize the Israeli occupation. Any person of conscience in the world has to raise his voice. Not only has the right, has the duty to raise his voice against the occupation. And no labeling us as anti-Semites or anti-Jewish or anti-Israeli should not paralyze us because they are trying to manipulate us. By the end of the day, we have the right to criticize Israel. By the way, you might be an intimate friend of Israel and still criticize Israel. You might care for the future of Israel like I do and still condemn the occupation, still fight against the occupation. Some of us fight against occupation because of the Palestinian rights and some of us might even fight the occupation because it destroys the society of Israel. Look what's happening within the society of Israel, look the violence, look the anti-democratic legislations of the last years, look at the racism which became politically correct in Israel, look at the nationalism. This is partly a product of the occupation, not all of it. And it took me many years, I must say, to understand how can we Israelis live in peace with all this. So yes, I know most of the Israelis know nothing about the occupation. and want to know nothing about the occupation. I'm amazed again and again about the level of ignorance. How efficient is this, the of system? How efficient is the propaganda? But still, you can't live in Israel and totally not know anything. And Israeli media and Israeli education system and Israeli politicians supplied us with all kinds of shields in order to continue with the occupation. We had once a very efficient advertisement for brass. You go with and you feel without. So we Israelis go with the occupation and totally feel without it. So how can it be that it is working so easily? And here I would like to suggest a few explanations. Some of you, like George and others, heard me already, and I'm so sorry to repeat myself, but I have a singer of one song. There is a set of beliefs that Israelis believe in, or we are trained to believe in, which makes it so much easier to live with the occupation and to feel without it. The first one is, we are the chosen people. We are the chosen people, secular religious, almost all of the Israelis, if you stretch under their skin, you will realize that there is some kind of conviction that we know better. We know better than, than the Australians, we know better than the Americans, we know better than anyone else, because we are the chosen people. If this is not enough, we are also the victims the greatest victims in history. But not only the greatest victims, the only victims in history. And as being the greatest and the only victims in history, we have the right to do whatever we want. Nobody will tell us what to do. As the late Golda Meir, Israeli Prime Minister, phrased it once, after the Holocaust, the Jews have the right to do whatever they want. This is very deep rooted in the Israeli way of thinking. For place to call home, we know now and the third set of beliefs concerns to the Palestinians. I'll be very careful in what I say, but by the end of the day, again if you scratch under the skin of almost any Israeli leftist or right wing you will realize that, how will I say, the Palestinians are not exactly human beings like us. They don't love their children like we do love their children, our children. They don't appreciate life like we appreciate life. They were born to kill. They are a little barbaric, let's be frank. They are not educated. The only thing which goes through their minds is how to push the Jews to the ocean, how to kill another Jew. They are not human beings like us. And if they are not human beings like us, what's the whole fuss about human rights? So this whole set of beliefs, together with the one and only religion of Israel, the informal religion, which is worshiping Security. Security justifies everything. Security is our religion. And when I say security, and when the world says security, it's always the security of Israel. Have you ever heard an argument for the security of the Palestinians? Have you ever heard someone speaking about the security of the Palestinians? While they are paying so much more price in terms of bloodshed than the Israelis. But security is our religion, and this enables us to do everything, because, you know, we are the victims, we are the chosen people, and they are not human beings like us. So on behalf of security, it's okay to launch attacks on Gaza and to kill 400 children and 200 women, and still believe that the IDF is the most moral army in the world, try to tell an Israeli that the IDF, the Israeli army, is the second moral army in the world. They will be so offended. Try to tell an Israeli that maybe the army of Luxembourg is more moral than the Israeli army, an occupation army, is the second moral army. How dare you? So the Israelis deeply believe that what the army is doing is moral, that the occupation is here because it was imposed on us, because we don't want this occupation. You know, my friends, there were longer occupations in history and there were even more brutal occupations in history. I cannot recall one occupation in which the occupier present himself as the the victim. We are the victims. The occupation was opposed to us. Or again, as the late Golda Meir phrased it, we will never forgive the Palestinians for forcing us to kill their children. We are killing their children and we are the victims. And those things, I mean, Golda Meir said it decades ago, but I'm sure that many, many Israelis still believe that we don't have other, other choice but to kill their children. We don't have any other choice. What do you want from us? We are the David and they are the Goliath. We are the weak ones, they are the strong ones. We are the good ones, they are the bad ones. And there is no other way but to kill their children. It's their fault. You hear it again and again.
0: That's all we have time for on this episode of Earth Matters. You've been listening to Gideon Levy, powerful Israeli critic of the occupation of Palestine, speaking recently in Australia at an event organised by Australians for Justice and Peace in Palestine and the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network. This is Earth Matters. I'm Jem Romald and I produce this show on Gadigal and Durable land in New South Wales for 3CR Radio in Melbourne and to be broadcast across Australia thanks to the wonderful community radio network. We'd like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. You can call up the station on 03 9419 or find our page on Facebook. Our shows are available online at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. And the music you've heard on this show is by Camelia Jubran and Combat Wombat.
1: Just across the border, bricks and mortar, or to keep a mantle, so we don't see who we're killing, whose blood we're spilling. No. Just across the border, bricks and mortar, all to keep a mantle, so we don't see who we're killing,
0: whose blood we're spilling. No.
1: But echelon education, contamination Illuminati program, of man's manipulation With rationale akin to a mass Decapitation for fast dissemination of fears to be embraced When everyone's a terrorist hiding out in our basement to let you and your family held in containment And where the hell time go complacent With a world without door beaming More than just entertainment